Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. It's, uh, well, we're getting into fall. We're having it's October! A... I know, it's October. but we have chilly nights, which I love. Keeps the bugs down. And uh, the days are still warm, so it's, it's, the, we, it's that sweet spot. I love Were you camping outside today? It was 27 degrees. Yeah. Celsius. What do they call it? A dog days of summer, and what do they call it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they call it anymore. Yeah, yeah it's it's it was quite warm. Out. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. But it's October. I know it's crazy. Eh? It's like what happened? What happened in the summer? Okay, I will say this: I walk the dog every morning at six. Yes. Yesterday morning, there were Christmas lights up on somebody's house. No, I felt like throwing a brick through the front window. <laughs> like wait. <laughs> Wait, like three months away. Isn't there a rule? You're not supposed to do that until after uh, Remembrance Day? Should be a rule. Mm-hmm. Or even October, like Halloween. Wait for Halloween to be yeah, done for exactly. crying out yeah. loud. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like the 1st of October and your Christmas lights are up? <laughs> Somebody needs a hobby. Yeah. Somebody needs a hug. <laughs> I got a brick that can hug. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, whatever. I'm not a big uh, Christmas fan. So. No, neither am I. But uh, this bug. weekend, yes, Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, I got to figure out what we're doing. Turkey? Are well, you going away? Yes, we are. Uh, are you taking that stove slash oven thing? I, I am. Gotcha? Got it all set up. <laughs> For twenty five bucks, yes. Yeah, so I did tell you about that. Yes. <laughs> so I, I went into. I went well, in, first of, so I was given this. Well, it wasn't given. It was. Is it Coleman it. or is it something? No, else? it was some brand. But basically, it's an outdoor oven, and the top lifts up, and there's two burners there. So yeah. picture a Coleman stove on top of a oven of an oven, mm-hmm. and you hook it up to your propane tank. Yeah. Well, there was no propane hookup to this, and I, so it's just sat here until I got mm-hmm. off my butt to, to go find one that fit, yeah. and I just never did. I've only had it for about a year. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, I probably will never actually have a place to use this unless I take it up like in Halloween, because I don't mm-hmm. do yeah, regular yeah. campground camp, and I'm not lugging that on a porch. No, no, it, uh, yeah. this is not a backcountry stove. And I think brand new, these things were 400 bucks, maybe? So I found them on Amazon for 420 bucks. Yeah, so... So you needed to find, in order to use this, I didn't want to use the green one-pound bottles. It's right. like, ah, I don't want to use that. Like, uh, how many of them am I going to go through? So I went in to find the hoses and whatnot. And and so <laughs> I went into an, an RV, RV place. Yeah, an RV place. And uh, so I started looking through all their stuff, pulling through all their stuff. One of the guys, one of, one of the service guys came over and he was giving me a hand. And we were pulling stuff out, setting things up. And we pretended we were setting up a barbecue. And it's like, hey, hey well, you need this, this. And it was so like a regulator and whatever. I said, well, I've got a regulator, but I'll, I'll consider it. And, and then this whole, okay, yeah, so this is what I need. Definitely this is it. And uh, And so I said, okay, I'm settled. This is what I need. And I had not looked at a single price until that point because I had pulled them all into the packages we had laid out on the floor and then so I started putting them back into the package flipped the package over and and just one of those it was like a moment of shock it's like no what how was that no so the hose was $148 some odd cents which is just 
dumb. It's a hose. I got the same one for Canadian Tire for like 30 <laughs> bucks. And then the regulator, which I didn't need, was uh, 141 or something. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, this is going to be after taxes over 300 bucks. Like the, the stove's not <laughs> worth 300 bucks. If somebody's going to steal the stove, yeah. just ask them to leave the yeah. hose and regulator. So, so the sales lady that was also helping, and the service guy, he left, he went back in behind the counter, and, and the service lady was there, and I said, she goes, okay, this is what you want then? I said, I, said uh, I did not look at the prices until just now. I'm going to have to, you're that common excuse. Right. What would you, what would you say in that moment? Oh, I better run this by my wife first. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I better talk to my wife. This yeah. Is, this is a big buy. I, I that's gotta, that's I, the get out of jail <laughs> thing, to get out of having to buy it, yeah. not look like a boo. Yeah. Because uh, as soon as I saw the prices, I knew I was not going to buy this. Right? There's no way. I thought, well, you know, I have a, I have the refilling valve. So you just, you, for, you take your standard barbecue tank, dump it upside down and you, there's a little adapter that you have to refill the one pump bottles. Mm-hmm. You can buy them on Amazon. They're yeah. like twelve bucks. So I thought, well, I just refill a couple, right? And so, and so, anyways, I got home and I was looking. I looked up the stove on Amazon just to see, right? And it's like, oh, four nineteen. Oh, there you go. That's a nice free stove. And uh, thank you, by the way. Yeah, not a problem. And uh, so, in the bottom underneath, where it shows usually bought with, and so it showed the stove, a hose, and something else. So it's like, oh, hose, click. Twenty four ninety five. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's a hundred and twenty five dollar savings right there. That was it's ridiculous. It was like yeah. so and you know, I am honestly I I'm I'm big proponent of uh, of shopping local, supporting local but I can't justify spending that premium price. Now yep. I didn't check out Canadian Tire. You say you got one for thirty bucks, so maybe I I didn't know. I, this when is I back was, in the day, though. Yeah, and I was at Canadian Tire, and when Canadian like my local Canadian Tire, they revamped the store recently. Yeah, and they went from like three aisles of camping gear to like one aisle, mm. or half an aisle of camping gear. It's like. Eh. What happened? End of season too, right? Well, no. They, they've once they when they restocked the shelves after they redid the whole store. It's amazing. Oh it's, yeah, it looks really nice. But like you, you can't find fire starters. You can't find uh, the mantles for a lantern. It, no. All this stuff is like, why don't you carry this? Up? Like all the, uh, um, what's the uh, what's the side brand that Coughlin's Coglins Coglins they don't have Coglins stuff. I couldn't find really? anything. Couldn't find any Coglins. Coglins have been there for like I a know. billion years. I know. So it's like, that's weird. So, yeah, anyways, hmm. I don't know that I would have been able to find a hose if I looked. But yeah, so, so yeah, so thank you, Amazon. It came, <laughs> yeah, I you ordered don't, it you after don't. supper and it was at my house at 1130 the next day. Right. It's like, I couldn't, like I would have. Save well, it doesn't, and doesn't help that we've got an Amazon warehouse in town, yeah. five minutes from my house. <laughs> I could probably just walk yeah. in there, pick it off the shelf myself, <laughs> leave 20 bucks and <laughs> come on. Well, on. like there's still lots of stuff that I buy local, like, yeah. you know, there's Christmas gifts and whatever. But, but yeah, when it comes to that, I'm, I'm not spending an extra 125 bucks just so I can support the locals, right? Yeah. When, when they're under the umbrella of Dewey, Dickham and Howe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... So yeah, now I've got the hose and. Have you tried it yet? Yes, yeah. and it worked fine. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I had I had it running for oh an hour the other night. Really? Yeah. 
Excellent. I just want to see how hot it would get. It went up to about max temperature at about 20, 25 minutes. Okay. It took a while to heat up. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's ran really well. But at least you got a stove with a... Yeah. And, and uh, an oven. And what the... <laughs> I'm revealing too much. <laughs> what the bonus of this oven that you gave me is uh, the oven in my uh, RV. It uh, The mice got into it. And so I can't run the oven because it cooks off all the urea from all the mouse pee. Oh, yeah. So you can't be inside. Well, not that you'd want to cook anything in there anyways. You'd want to put food in there. But I've tried the stove a couple... I, one time I just let it run. We went outside by the fire, let it run for like two hours. And it still stinks like pee. I have to disassemble it and pull the insulation pull the and out. put new insulation in if I want to use it. So, hey, now I have an oven. I can... See? Now make- you don't need to do it. <laughs> Time saver, buddy. I'm exactly. there for you. That's what bros do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, that it's handy that way. Now we have an oven to... So, on Sunday we can... So we haven't decided Sunday or Monday, but we're uh, going to... You know, do, we're going to pre-cook a... Ham? A, turkey? One of those chicken? turkey ball things. Oh, butterball. But no, the ball. It's like a it's a pre rolled stuffed turkey chunk of meat thing. Because well, I'm not going to cook a turkey. I'm not going camping and cooking a turkey. That's a big old chunk of pre cooked meat. <laughs> so we're going to pre cook it and then rewarm it. But I'm gonna we're going to make bread and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah. you're going to go to a campground somewhere and yeah. do it, not McGregor. McGregor. You going to McGregor? Yes. Good old McGregor. Out on a Bruce Peninsula there. Hey, here's a question for you. Sure. How come it's always a wee dram of scotch? A wee dram of scotch. Why doesn't anybody have a massive dram of scotch? <laughs> what What did... Uh, oh, shoot. Uh, I can't even remember his name now. I'm blanking. Uh, Evan Callan? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, Evan... Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. So what was his... Uh, the thing he said in court about uh, mega, a mega, a mega glass of wine or See? something. <laughs> like why not have a mega dram? You can have your wee dram. I'm just going to have a mega dram, which means a strap-on uh, cup handle yeah. that fits right on the side of the bottle. <laughs> there you go. So I, I just out of the blue because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sitting there uh, – watching something about Ansel Adams and then it went into this mm-hmm. thing about uh, something else and then Ray Goodwin is on the Spay River right now oh, okay. and he posted on one of his posts um, doing green curry for dinner Nice. and we'll have a wee dram of malt sc- yeah. uh, later. Well, Scotty on Star Trek, he always, oh, I'll just have a wee dram. Yeah. <laughs> What's this wee dram crap? <laughs> Bro, up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But they always say that, don't they? Yeah. We're going to have a wee dram. Not me. Get <laughs> that little whatever sippy cup out of here. <laughs> oh, man, it's close, Give please. me a pitcher. <laughs> oh. Other than that, uh, yeah, so Thanksgiving this weekend. My mm-hmm. birthday's on Monday. Thanksgiving's on Sunday. Mm-hmm. My parents' anniversary is on Sunday. Oh. And I'm heading north to Lake Superior all by myself for nine days. <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. My, gra- my, my mother-in-law's birthday is the same day as mine. She turns 80. And they're doing a big drop-in thing for her oh, okay. on Saturday. 
There's a lot going on family-wise this and week. And you're missing it all. And I'm missing it all. Yeehaw! <laughs> Boy! <laughs> That's time to be away. Yeah. Ah, you know, it's time of year I usually go away. So. Yeah. Usually it's this week I'm away. And then I get back just in time to sit in down for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. But I'm not this year. This year I'm just totally missing everything. Well, we've aligned our vacations, it seems. See? We're both gone next week. That's the way it should be done. <laughs> Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Yeah. Well, I couldn't do this with without you here because uh, I don't have a clue how to use any of your equipment. Just press that button right there. <laughs> yeah. And magically, but everything I happens. I wouldn't be able to mix anything together or, or do whatever you do. I'd be lost. So I've really fooled you that much. <laughs> <laughs> or protected your job. I can't take over. That is job preservation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm heading up to Lake Superior, going to do a couple of spots on Superior, hopefully itself. Uh, and then a couple of, do a couple of the tributaries as well, a couple nice. of days. Those would be fun. Yeah. So the wind's going to be too high. You never get on Lake Superior itself. Well, they were talking snow. What? Yeah. Tracy was saying the one weather report she said was mentioning there might be snow. Huh. I can't think it's going to be too much. early. But yeah, yeah. Makes me wonder how the boys now, are doing up in the Arctic. Mind you, I've been through Algonquin one year, this same time, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Glenn Peterson. Yep. And uh, Cold Spring Tripper. And one morning we woke up and there was a lot of snow covering everything. <laughs> and when we were trying to cross, it was either the Otter Slides or Burnt Island. But yeah, it was it was a whiteout. Mm-hmm. We we're trying to pass wow. pass through there. So, so yeah, tis the season. Mm-hmm. I expect the unexpected. I've seen snow only once in Algonquin. It was a solo trip on bice, and it was back in the day when it's like you're you're just learning about uh, the value of a breathable clothing, right? Mm-hmm. And I had this jacket with me, and it did not breathe. And uh, I was wetter on the inside of the jacket than I was on the outside from the big snowfall. And I was yeah. just shivering. It's like, this is stupid. I grew up with my <clears throat> grandfather outside li- learning some stuff from him. And it was, you know, he was always in his dungarees. Okay. I wear my dungarees everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Jeans. Yeah. Right? He always called them dungarees. And when I first started canoe tripping, I wore jeans. Yeah. Right? That's and then after do. a while, you're just like, yeah, this probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they get wet, you can't even sit down properly right? because it pulls your legs. And, and it's cold. Yeah. It retains the water. Oh, so yeah. I mean, these are things you learn. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, there wasn't a lot of, like, I mean, Facebook pages and everything now. Mm-hmm. But when I started, they didn't have any of that. There was the <clears throat> a couple of forums that you jump yeah, on and stuff. Gonquin Adventures. Yeah. And- and yeah. uh, my CCR and stuff like that. And people tell, hey, get breathable. Yeah. And there's just layer, layer, layer. But I look at what I used to take versus what I take now. Oh, what a difference. Oh, yeah. Big time. What a difference. I just makes you realize, man, I was a real idiot back then. Right? I wasn't, but you sure were. Yeah. And so much extra stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm getting all, slowly getting all my stuff. See, that's my uh, big pile there. I don't unpack it. <laughs> it's it's, just it's ready it there, for the next trip. It's ready for the next I just pick and choose <laughs> what I need out of it, and Bob's your uncle. Uh, we got a few things this uh, this week. Dun, dun. What's the matter? You're looking at your time. Uh-oh. No, it, no. Was, it, was, it was buzzing. Oh, you're... F- it's not, is that an Apple Watch? It, it, no, it's a Samsung watch. 
It was free. So it's like an Apple Watch, just different. Yeah. It's exactly the same, but different. It was free. Best price. I know. Uh, so I came across a couple things to talk about this week. Um, launched last year, the Taiwan Outrigger Canoe Voyaging Society. Now, this talks about something I never even knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things I didn't know, but, you know. Yeah, like, you know, the, the migrating monkeys and... Yeah, the, the prehistoric rafting monkeys. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Who knew? <laughs> so, the Taiwan Outrigger Canoe Voyaging Society hopes to reconnect the nation of Taiwan with its seafaring past as the starting point of the Austronesian migration. I've never heard of that before. I never heard of that either. I was when I was reading through this, it was like, wait, is they is Austronesian? Are they talking Australia? But no, it's not. Yeah, while promoting indigenous <coughs> culture and local understanding of the ocean, while participating in outrigger canoe activities in Hawaii, Yvonne Jian often heard indigenous locals say that their ancestors came from Taiwan. I didn't really understand why, the longtime U.S. resident says. Growing up in Taipei, she knew little about indigenous culture. Only when I returned to Taiwan did I learn about our shared astro, sorry, Austronesian culture, uh, cultural background and saw the similarities. Hmm. Over the past decade, at least, probably a bit longer, but more. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say decade. A lot. I mean, we think here in Canada about the indigenous cultures that we're yes. discovering more about. Correct. And, you know, we just had the, the day of uh, truth, truth and, re- and reconciliation, reconciliation and, and everything. But there's a lot of countries out there. That are only discovering it. That are only discovering it mm-hmm. now. You know, because you think, man, we're so far behind. But when you start looking around. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of other countries out there. That and are- you're seeing, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's a factor of just the way the news and the media and, and social media works. It's like, we're seeing a lot of this, this upswell of just people becoming more aware of roots and mm-hmm. where we come from, like what National Geographic over the last 15 years have been doing this, uh, this DNA thing where you can donate DNA to the National Geographic and they're doing world mapping and, and seeing who links to where and who came across the bridge first and the, the land bridge and so on. It's yep. like, so there, there's a lot of, we're broadening our awareness of, of, uh, human history like just in the last couple of years they're like they're finding potential settlements like a hundred thousand years old yeah they're finding bones and dna that are like sixty thousand years old they didn't know that we went back that far and see i'm not going to give my dna to that because you know i came with those rafting monkeys <laughs> that's what i'm afraid i'm going to find out <laughs> so jian visited taiwan just before covid19 pandemic shut everything down unable to leave and missing her canoe family across the pacific ocean she started the Taiwan Outrigger Canoe Club uh, and began researching how Austro... I keep wanting to say Astral. Mm-hmm. Austro-Nesian peoples voyaged from Taiwan to Madagascar, New Zealand, and Hawaii in Outrigger Canoes. That's a big trip. Right? On an, In a big trip, open canoe, limited supplies, limited water. That's... Uh, you got to think they're maybe a bit bigger than... It's got to be a big boat. You, yeah. You're going to have to, like, the, I imagine you have a whole bunch of coconuts for water and stuff like that, right? So. Uh, she later moved to uh, Tai Tung and recruited a team of paddlers, 
Recently, they returned from the world's largest canoe race in Hawaii, where the delegation also participated in various indigenous cultural exchanges. It was the first time a Taiwan team has attended. However, while outrigger canoe culture is still maintained on many other islands, it doesn't exist in Taiwan. Interesting, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. Since Taiwan is the Austronesian motherland, they expected us to have great canoes, artist and paddler Akak Orat says. They couldn't imagine that we didn't even have a single one, nor the culture. It's just, it's been lost to them. Right? right? And you figure, if that's where everybody came from, if anybody's going to have the culture, and they don't. Uh, Jian also found that despite living on an island, there was still a general lack of understanding and fear of the ocean among Taiwanese. A product of coastal areas being largely off limits during the martial law era. Now she has decided to stay and promote outrigger canoe paddling, foster indigenous cultural exchanges, and encourage deeper local connections with the ocean and awareness towards protecting it. Pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Even before she knew about Taiwan's Austronesian connections, outrigger canoe paddling was more than just a sport to Jian. Training uh, under renowned Hawaiian canoe master uh, Kimokeo Kapahulihua. Sorry for totally blitzing that one. Kapahulihua. Jian learned much about the traditional ways of life and came to see her paddling team as Ohana, or extended family. I only know Ohana because of Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you, true, you know true. it from there. Uh, Akak had no seafaring experience, but two years ago, he began building a canoe with his friend for an exhibition. It was more of a creative in Denver, and we didn't, didn't know whether it would be functional or not, he says. But Yvonne saw it and came to speak with us enthusiastically about her plans. Since Taiwan doesn't have this culture, we actually had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> a year later, they met again through the Taitung, uh, Ocean, or Taitung Ocean, uh, Blue Ocean Daily Festival. By that time, Jian's canoe family had sent her a vessel, and she was promoting it at the event. After learning more about the Austronesian expansion, Jian saw that the long-distances outriggers canoe, canoe paddlers often travel were an extension of the ancient migration routes that ultimately originated in Taiwan. Her coach once completed a 2,500-kilometer trip. That would be an interesting uh, DNA study to to track the DNA. Back and forth between everything. And any stops Mm -hmm. between, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted us to reconnect to this heritage, she says. I wanted to introduce the island's first peoples and ancient cultures and use our canoes to follow their ancestors' migration routes on a journey of discovery. Uh, Akag and Safin's canoe was also ready to sail by then. Uh, Kappa Hulihua, who was in Taiwan for the festival, blessed their vessel. The connections between the two peoples were apparent when he could understand about 20% of what was said at a ceremony held in the Amis language. They also traveled to Orchid Island to learn about their existing seafaring traditions, finding different similarities there. So, talking people from Hawaii coming to Taiwan, Mm -hmm. he can understand some of what they're saying because of the similarities in language. That's neat, eh? And when they're looking at their 
seafaring traditions, well, we do that. We do that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Do that, There's comparables. That. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Because uh, you're not thinking they're they're very close, mm-hmm. you know. After training for about a month, the fledgling team set out for uh, Talk's first international competition in Singapore. Jian asked each member to think about what aspect of Taiwan they could share. During the trip, Uncle Kim- Kimokeo went to great lengths to explain his traditions and teach us about the ocean, canoe culture, and the concept of Ohana, Akak uh, says. This is what made me want to continue participating. Even though this culture is lost in Taiwan, we can learn it again from them. However, he doesn't want to just blindly copy what he sees, instead applying Taiwan's traditions and resources, such as using uh, rattan weaving in the construction of canoes and possibly making paddles out of bamboo. Hmm. Well, you got to think, if that's what's available there, yeah, that's yeah. what they would have yeah. used back in the day, right? And we've seen and talked about uh, woven boats. Yes. Right? I mean, like, you get the the, the reed boats and stuff like we, that. Yeah, and yeah. So, realistically, rattan isn't that different. It's got to find a way to make it waterproof. Right? Uh, through competing... He also learned that appreciating the ocean also means respecting its power and being fully equipped to deal with its perils. He saw people of all ages surfing in Hawaii, but in Taiwan, not only do most people find such activities dangerous, there isn't a comprehensive safety system to deal with and prevent accidents. There's, uh, this is just the beginning, and there's still a lot to learn and much training needed before they can even claim to be promoting canoe culture. Uh, you have to do some something millions of times before it becomes a culture, he says. Not until we're able to paddle with ease can we display the deeper spiritual side of it. It's not something we can accomplish in a year or two. Very but, interesting. You know what? There's this core group, it seems, that really mm-hmm. have latched onto this and yeah. want to push it. Yeah. You know, bring back the, the culture of what was yeah. a Taiwanese culture. Mm-hmm. Fostering Taiwan's ocean culture as a whole is a much longer endeavor that will take generations and require much resources. But Jian thinks that uh, thinks it's necessary. Otherwise, Taiwan will miss out on countless opportunities as an island nation and allow its shores to deteriorate further. If we feel that the ocean has nothing to do with us, then the policymakers won't respect it. We'll continue to destroy the ecology and drift further and further away from it, she says. Hmm. So she's looking at this from cultural <clears throat> and ecological aspects Cultural, of ecological, it. yeah. If yeah. you don't use it, you lose it. Right. So if they don't have that, that seafaring culture currently, and, uh, and so it's... There's not a lot of people that use this shoreline in such a, uh, you know, a pleasure craft. Uh, yeah, way. recreating. Yeah. Way. So it makes you wonder why was it dropped? Why was it lost? So <laughs> I, I I didn't want to get into it, but I, I don't know enough about it. But uh, there is a lot of oppression for the Taiwanese from China, mm-hmm. mainland China, because mainland China claims ownership over Taiwan, right? And so there's a lot of. Uh, there, there's a lot of rules about uh, them traveling on the sea and fishing and different rules that China imposed upon them. And so Taiwan... See, I didn't think it was that bad. Th- they, I know it was bad, but I didn't it, think it it's, was it's pretty like bad. that restrictive where bad. you can't even go out yeah. in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And look at... Uh, like it, Yeah. I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's nice that uh, somebody's realized this and getting a group of people together yeah. to start yeah. bringing it back and, to, and say, hey, who this knows? is like, hist- our history. Exactly. And so who knows if you start to bring out that culture again and reintroduce it, there's going to be the elderly. You're going, oh, I remember this and I remember that. And I remember you're going to find old records in libraries and, and old records in people's attics about, you know, oh, look, this is this is what we used to do back in the day for uh, uh, yeah. part of our fishing culture. But that's been going on here for the last while too, you know, like, Wisconsin finding the dugout canoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, a lot of that, and it, yeah. Well, with that, that's new technology, and yep. and plus being aware to even look for it in the first right? place. Because so until now that they, they know, now they know these things are there. Exactly. So until you start looking, you just don't know it's there. Yeah. So hopefully this continues and uh, all works uh, out well for them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, as we said, it is October. That means you're going to start seeing witch paddles and pumpkin ah, paddling yes. races. Yes. Uh, the witch paddles, I've already seen those. Hey, come out to this weekend, dress yeah. as a witch and whatever, and hop on your stand-up paddle board. <laughs> or they usually do record, try to yeah. break records with how many witches they can get on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A major river couple or hundred, something. A couple thousand, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the I think the pumpkin paddling's better. <laughs> Scoop out a giant pumpkin yeah, and yeah. race. Yeah, they do. They yeah. do it in the Ganaraska, Ganaraska River yeah. in Port Hope. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to find a place near you that's doing, just Google. Yeah. Google it. You're going to find a lot of them over the next yeah. uh, few weeks. Exactly. A ton of them. Do you want to go as a witch or do you want to float in a pumpkin? It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> uh, staying over on the Asian side of the planet, Japan. I can't remember how I ended up here, but Google had something to do with it. <laughs> Paddling in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's not something you really think about. No, you don't, but it makes sense that they are, it's just like if you are on Vancouver Island or Halifax mm-hmm. or whatever, you're, you're immersed in the ocean and that culture. So it's going to be a lot of kayaking. Kayak or stand-up paddleboarding enthusiasts, amateurs and experts alike will be tempted by the crystal clear waters of the lakes in the Nagano Prefecture. Lake uh, Nojiri and Lake Onotaki boast gorgeous views of the surrounding mountains. In Hakuba, the beautifully pure Lake Aoki and Sai River, which flows from the nearby northern Japan Alps, other versatile terrain for full day of adventures from kayaking to mountain biking. Apparently there's lots to do. <laughs> yes, yes. For an uh, entrancing experience, kayak on Lake Shinzenko, which was formed by an earthquake in 1984, giving birth to an underwater forest. Oh, wow. You can see remnants of trees rising from the water like ethereal spirits. Well, that'd be interesting. That'd Remember when we were in Tobamori and you floated over the, the, the wrecks? Yep. Yeah. Could you imagine how spooky that would be going over trees? Like the tops of trees? Huh. That'd just so, be weird. That's that's a lot of uh what do they call that subduction? So earthquake causes the earth to drop down to below water level. And so all the trees are still there, but they're just <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just yeah. they're yeah, just lower, lower than they were last week. Yeah. 
For thrill-seekers, rafting is a perfect way to explore Japan's waterways. The Yoshino River along the, the top of Shikoku Island offers some of the country's best rapids for rafting and canyoning. So following that, I decided, well, check this out. And there's 12 best places to go kayaking. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of words I'm going to botch. <laughs> I apologize beforehand. <laughs> Okinawa Ona Village is one of them. Ona Village, located in the central part of Okinawa Prefecture, is one of the best resort areas in Japan. So any of these here, if you're looking to do, mm-hmm. if you're planning a vacation for next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, listen up. So Okinawa is like, that's mm-hmm. their way out in the ocean. They're way southern tip near Taiwan. See? Go from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best resort areas in Japan also has a good reputation as a diving and kayaking spot. Emerald Green Ocean Beach. Uh, welcomes you first. The water is very clear, making it a popular kayaking spot among tourists and locals alike. One of the most famous tourist spots in Ona Village is Blue Grotto. There are many Blue Grottos scattered all over Japan, but the Blue Grotto in Ona Village is particularly stunning. Mm-hmm. When the sun shines into the, get- uh, into the grotto, you can enjoy the beautiful sky blue water. This is a photogenic spot that anyone can enjoy. That's amazing. You see some of these places. Some of the pictures Mexico and stuff, and eh? Japan. I've seen pictures on all the time online. Yeah. Uh, Lake Aikida. When you visit Kagoshima Prefecture down south in Kyushu, it is worth it to stop by Lake Aikida in Ibusuki City. Lake Aikida is the largest caldera in Kyushu, which is the top of a volcano. Yeah. Uh, Mount Kaimon, which is nearby the lake, is now uh, known as Satsuma Fuji. There is a legend that says there's an unidentified being called Issy. Don't we all have these things? Right. Issy, anyway. the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, Opi, Opiongo, no. Op- out in BC. Yeah, out in BC. Uh, Op- Op- Opichobi or? Yeah. I don't Opie. know. Yeah, Opi. Um, they're living in Lake Aikida. That is a huge black creature that is about 10 to 20 meters long. No one has actually ever proven this to be true. Due to this local legend, there are two statues of Issy in the area and can also be a good place for a photo. It can be fun and thrilling to take a kayak tour and relax on a boat. Looking out at Satsuma Fuji and the beautiful lake, if you're feeling adventurous and have the courage... Why not set out on a journey and try to find the mysterious Issy? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so Lake Akita is just south east of uh, Nagasaki. Uh, Sato I, uh, Inland Sea. I keep wanting to say island on that one. Inland Sea. That's near Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Surrounded by Shikoku and Honshu, the Sato Island Sea is one of the best and most beautiful kayaking spots in all of Japan. It's a great place for people of all levels as the waves are relatively calm. With the pleasant sea breeze, you will be able to relax, take a stunning landscape uh, of Japan. In the evening, you can see the beautiful red sunset, which is truly spectacular sight. It will surely be a moment of and place you will never forget. Some of these just sound amazing. Don't they, though? Lake Hibera. Uh, uh, Urabandai Plateau in the northern part of Fukushima Prefecture is a highland resort area that is full of nature. 
It is a beautiful scenic spot located about 800 meters above sea level. The lake in the center of the plateau is called Lake Hibera and is said to have been created by the eruption of Mount Bondi. It is known as the largest lake in Eurobandai, being about 31 kilometers across, 31 meters at its deepest. Oh. Pink cherry blossoms in spring, the fresh greenery of summer, the autumn leaves of autumn, and the snowy white scenery in winter all captivate the hearts of many people throughout the year, as all four seasons are distinct. Kayaking under the clear blue sky in the cool plateau is a perfect activity for both families and friends alike. In addition to kayaking, you can also enjoy camping and beautiful starry sky at night. Can you imagine kayaking through all of the cherry trees? That would be amazing. That would be stunning. I, I, that's that's one of the most remarkable pictures you see coming to either Vancouver, Victoria, BC, or Japan is all the spring yeah. cherry blossoms. It's yeah. amazing. That would be something. Karama Islands. There is one kayaking spot that you should not miss when you are in Okinawa. There are about 20 islands scattered about this area that are called the Karama Islands. You can get to these islands by cruise from Naha. It takes about 35 to 50 minutes. Not only do they have great kayaking, but you can also go diving, which is another fun activity. Best part about Karama, Karama Islands is how clear and beautiful the sea is. It is so clear that you can see the tropical fish swimming in the underwater coral reefs from the surface of the sea which is known as Karama Blue. This is why divers and tourists from all over the world come to the Karama Islands to get a glimpse of this amazing world of blue. That'd be cool. Cool. You know, just look down and you're kayaking around. and Yeah, you see the tropical fish. Yeah. Lake Biwa. Lake Biwa is the largest lake in Japan. Uh, It is a place where you can take several different kayaking tours. You can see up close how beautiful Lake Biwa's water and marine life is. You can also kayak to the head of the river that you can't get to on land. Uh, after kayaking, it'd be fine to go shopping for Lake Biwa souvenirs, sit down for some gourmet food. A day trip to Lake Biwa can be a fun and also relaxing experience. There we go, paddling and food again <laughs> and shopping. That just seems to be a great combination. Lake Nojiri in Shinano Machi. Uh, Nagano Prefecture Prefecture is located on a plateau at an altitude of 654 meters. Fossils of elephants were once excavated at the bottom of the lake. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's Nauman, a German guy found them. Nauman elephants, they're known as. I think it's Nauman. I I couldn't find an actual pronunciation. Hmm. Uh, the Nojirko uh, Elephant Museums nearby is really cool uh, for people into fossils and dinosaurs. Summer is the best time to go kayaking here. Nagano is also famous as a summer retreat, and the scenery at Lake Nojiri will surely not disappoint. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You can go kayaking and send the wife and the kids over to the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the Olympics were just not yeah. too long ago. Yeah. Nagano. Uh, Kinosaki Onsen, a hot spring town. See, this is just a couple resort now. <laughs> uh, located in the northern part of Hyogo Prefecture near the hot springs, there's an area called Takino, which is another great kayaking spot. This vast area spans over six towns. The area is called San-In Kaigan Geopark, and Takino is part of it. 
This area is popular as a place where you can learn more about the topography of Japan, how the Sea of Japan came to be, and the characteristics of the area. So that's a lot of different places there you can kind that's, of. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> if only I could afford to go. Right? Yeah, we just, too many places in the world to go paddling. I know. Uh, Lake Shikatsu, a large lake located in Hokkaido. It is a caldera formed after the eruption of Shikatsu Volcano. Can you imagine? I mean, I've climbed a volcano. I've stood at the top of a caldera and looked down at a lake in it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine actually just paddling in one? No, I can't imagine. That'd be cool. Uh, now has a depth of about 360 meters. It is known as the second deepest lake in Japan after Lake Tazawa and the northernmost ice-free lake in the country. Hmm. Most fascinating part about this lake is how clear the water is. Up until 2018, it had been evaluated as having the best water quality in Japan for 11 consecutive years. Well, it'd be the highest spot, so it only gets rainwater. Mm-hmm. Water only goes, like, water only flows out. The extremely clear water is said to be produced by the low nutrient content in the water and lack of plankton presence. It is called Shikatsu Blue because of its beauty and translucence, making it the perfect spot for kayaking. After kayaking, you can relax in the nearby Shikatsu Hot Spring and complete your day. <laughs> There's a lot of couples things to do in Japan, yeah. apparently. Uh, Uradome Coast stretches about 15 kilometers from east to west. It is famous for its crystal clear water, which is known to be of the same caliber as Okinawa. Kayaking here is also a great way to head to the white sandy beaches, caves, and unique rocks created by the rough waves in the Sea of Japan. I saw pictures of this. I mean, the beach itself is like, if you're mm-hmm. in the beaches, you yeah. want to go there. The water is cool. But these rocks, they're just like all of a sudden, it's like all these tiny little Almost stalagmites with but rounded yep. sort of thing because all the water over yep. the years, you know, and there's just all these little things standing about that really? you can just weave in and round and hmm. yeah, it's it's pretty cool looking from what I saw. Uh, you get some nice exploration, that's for sure. Tokyo, which you wouldn't think of, mind you, you wouldn't think of Toronto downtown either, would you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, although Tokyo is such a big city packed with people, you may think there weren't. Uh, wouldn't be places to go kayaking. However, kayaking is actually a great way to see various parts of Tokyo. They offer various tours all year round through the rivers and canals of Tokyo that include an evening tour and even a Sakura tour during the cherry blossom season in the spring. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. They have many guides who are well-versed in English and know the Tokyo, Tokyo area very well, making for an experience you are sure to enjoy. Fascinating. Hmm. That's what you want to do. That's got to be the most popular of everything right there. Uh, Ogasawara. Uh, Almost directly south of Tokyo in the Pacific Ocean, Ogasawara Islands are an archipelago consisting of more than 30 small tropical and subtropical islands. Here's the kicker. Okay. Currently, the only way to reach these islands is by a 24-hour ferry ride from Tokyo. Well, I gotta Google that. Twenty-four hour ferry ride. So that's a day there, a day back. <laughs> We're there for. Hopefully, you can get cabins. <laughs> yeah. 
these islands are on a similar latitude as Okinawa and therefore also have a comparatively warm and subtropical climate. Kayaking is a great way to see the beautiful nature beaches and clear waters and everything else this peaceful part of Japan has to offer without having to worry about big crowds because nobody wants to sit on a ferry for 48 hours. There are also some great kayaking tours that you can take where the locals will show you all the best spots. So those are 12. Oh, it's way out there. Right? Those islands are way out there. Are they about 24 hours away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hit or miss, I guess. That's uh, that's just a guess on my behalf. Twenty four hours. Yeah, that's. Uh, it had better be spectacular. <laughs> if you're sick, could you imagine twenty four hours? You get there and you go, "This is dog crap." <laughs> <laughs> you got to go twenty four hours back. It is a long ways out. Right? Not as far as Midway or Hawaii, but it's a long ways out. Yeah. So if you're looking to go to Japan, you might want to think about booking a kayak tour. Yeah. Because it sounds like... And the thing that a lot of these have, they've either got calderas, Mm -hmm. hot springs, or crystal clear water. Yep. Those seem to be three things that are most prevalent in the kayaking spots. Yep. Right? And all of them seem to have fantastic scenery. Mm Mm-hmm. Give it a whirl. Give it a whirl. Um, heading a bit south of there, down to Australia, Baelic Arts presented a five-day residency in Mill Owl. Now, I, I'll finish this here, an island southeast of Melbourne in which Aboriginal artist Mitch Mahoney created a traditional stringy bark canoe. So, they use the term on country. On country? What? On country. Not in country. But Not in country. country. On country. Okay. And so I had to look that up. I couldn't what figure it out when, when they're putting it there. Basically, it means their land. Oh, okay. Right? So it's, it's our land. So mm-hmm. on country. Mm-hmm. I fa- I've never heard that before. I mean, you, you hear all the weird things that come out of, you know... Um, Australian slang and lingo and stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever come across on country before. Hmm. And that's what it is. He's doing it on country, on their land. Hmm. Uh, The public were invited to come down, see the artist at work as he built a a stringy bark canoe, which again, I've never heard of a stringy, I've heard of bark canoe, but stringy bark. Using traditional methods the Aboriginal people have used for countless generations. Stringy bark canoes were used by Aboriginal peoples to access the islands in years gone by. Mitch Mahoney is a proud Aboriginal artist and cultural educator with a passion for sharing cultural, uh, culture and teaching the public about Victoria's rich cultural history. All the work I do is about the revitalization and celebration of Southeastern Aboriginal culture and practices. I try to create works that are designed to spark interest and educate people, the artist says. So a stringy bark canoe is a bark canoe made from a sheet of bark folded and tied at both ends with plant fiber string. The uh, The bow is folded tightly to a point. The stern has looser folds. So if you picture a dugout canoe, mm-hmm. but a sheet of bark. Yep. And the front end is all gathered 
and pinched at the top, at the front, mm-hmm. and tied tightly. The back is gathered the same sort of way, but not as tight yeah. and tied up. So not as pointy, but still yeah. tied. So it's it's a bit flatter mm-hmm. back, but uh, yeah. Bark canoes were used by Aboriginal people for general transport, fishing, collecting birds' eggs from reed beds. When fishing in such canoes, women sat and used hooks and lines. Men stood and threw spears. Small fire was kept alight in the canoe on a bed of wet clay or seaweed. We've heard other, we've talked about other um, indigenous cultures that did the same sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yep. They'd have a carrier flame with you. I would never think about having a fire in my <laughs> in canoe. In your canoe. <laughs> I know, right? But these, yep. nothing to it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this kept people warm in winter and also allowed them to cook the fish they caught. There you go. Canoes of this type were made from the bark of swamp she-oak, bangalay, or stringy bark eucalyptus. Hmm. These trees were chosen for bark canoe construction because they have large dominant trunks, thick fibrous bark, and the tree species are common throughout Australia. Uh, the canoe uh, that he did was constructed from a single piece of bark that was removed from a tree trunk using ground-edged hatchets and wooden mallets. Outline was cut into the tree and stone wedges were inserted around the edges and left there until the bark loosened. The bark was softened with fire and folded and tied at both ends with plant fiber string. Today, distinctive scars can be seen on trees from which bark was removed for canoe construction. These are known as canoe trees. So if you're going back in an area you knew yeah, they, yeah. you could see these. So I guess the trees outlines. survived. They didn't take all the bark, just yeah. took enough bark to make, to make the canoe. their their canoe. Yeah. Light material and the shallowness of the canoe made its design appropriate for use in the calm waters and rivers of and estuaries. Uh, it could also have been used by an experienced person in choppy water outside estuaries. Small bark paddles of 60 to 90 centimeters were used to propel the canoes, which ranged in length from 2 meters to 6 meters. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. To repair damaged or leaking canoes, small holes were patched with resin from different species of Xanthorea grass trees. Uh, large holes may have been patched with the leaves of the cabbage tree palm or Melaleuca paper bark. A uh, patch was sewn on with string or animal sinew and molten resin was used to make it watertight. That's fascinating. Right? Huh. Would have been a heck of a lot easier than a birch bark canoe <laughs> to make know. one of these bad boys. <laughs> right? Just exactly. Pitter-patter sort of thing. <laughs> um, just got three little things left here. Cocaine kayak. This is so funny. A man was arrested <laughs> earlier this month uh, after he allegedly snuck 26 pounds of cocaine into his kayak on Lake Champlain in Vermont after paddling into the U.S. from Canada. Woo! Way to go, Canada. So this is just directly south of Montreal. Freddie Rodriguez of Rhode Island was charged with drug possession with the intent to distribute cocaine. How do they know that that 26 pounds wasn't, wasn't for him? <laughs> Maybe it was just right? personal use. Maybe he just what? set himself it's up for the rest use. of his life. <laughs> they don't say how old he was, but even still. Uh, 26 pounds? Oh, I'm... Yeah, no, the only number in here is 26. There you go. Maybe I was yeah. thinking that was his age. Uh, no, 26 pounds. Like, how do they know that's not he? I got 26 pounds. That'll last me till I'm 90. 
Uh, he's trying yeah, to intent to distribute cocaine uh, over the incident, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Federal authorities said in a press release after learning a kayaker had crossed into the U.S. from Canada via the Lake Champlain, they spotted Rodriguez at a rented camp in Highgate, Vermont. Agents allegedly observed him taking a bag into his kayak, and when they confronted him, he tried and failed to flee. The kayak, authorities said, was full of bricks of cocaine. Wow. Federal agents did not say if Rodriguez had brought the cocaine from Canada or if he was picking it up in Vermont. Rodriguez faces a mandatory minimum sentence of five years in prison if convicted, and up to 40 years because of the amount of cocaine he allegedly had on him. Well, that's a life-changing well, uh, kayak ride. Technically, he didn't have it on him. The kayak had it in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there for you, Freddy. <laughs> you can't prove he was going to distribute. <laughs> it could have been personal use. It could have been personal use. <laughs> I just saw uh, there's just certain things that pop out of at you, and you got all right. That's that's a topic. <laughs> Isn't that something? In other historic events, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, explorers have recreated a historic trek through the Everglades, revealing environmental impact over a century. A team of explorers took a 100-mile trip through the Everglades, completing a trek that hasn't been taken in more than 125 years. In 1897, Hugh de Lassat Willoughby... Well, that's a high-fluting name. Right? Rich guy. <laughs> a canoe trip through the Everglades with his charts aiding in creating the first accurate maps of the region. So doing some mapping as he went. According to the news release, his water sampling provided the baseline water chemistry for the Everglades and his book is primary reading for all Everglades scholars. How advanced was chemistry back then? I'm, I'm curious. Like, what is he? What is he detecting in the water? He's not checking mineral content. You wouldn't be able. to I don't to know, but that. I think they, his water probably had some H's and some O's. <laughs> Maybe a couple H's to every O. That's. I'm just guessing. I'm not sure how advanced they were back then. <laughs> but still, like, I, I don't. They say he took water samples, and like, what do you say? Is it be clarity? Maybe I Tasty. don't know. Tasty, salty. How well, salty any, is this one? No oil slick. Yes, yes. Eighteen ninety-seven. Right. That's. Uh, yeah, I. I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, they had chemistry. I'm sure they. I know, would but how some advanced would you be to to determine the the makeup of of water samples? Takes a drink of water, a glass of water, passes to his buddy, so, says, "Drink <laughs> this. How do you feel? Okay, you're good." Yeah. Willoughby explores Dr. Tracy Baker with the University of Florida Department of Environmental and Global Health and Harvey Oyer III, expedition co-leader, collected water samples to study its potential pollutants. Teams sampled and tested for the same water constituents that Willoughby did more than a century ago. They also searched for water pollutants that Willoughby couldn't have foreseen in the late 19th century, including microplastics, perfluoroalkyl, perfluoroalkyl, as in alkyl. Alkaline? I think they spelled that wrong. Perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl. PFASs, as we call them, pesticides, pharmaceuticals, and antibiotic resistance genes, all of which are adversely affecting plant and animal species globally. Now, we get get, uh, some of our 
clients will call us and ask in our any of our processes, do any of our chemicals contain PFASs? Yeah, it makes sense if you want to be if you're going to be a company that is going to be out in the world stage, you want to be seen as as environmentally friendly. Environmentally yeah. friendly. Yeah. Hey, you're, we have, hey, uh, your the your local, signage is killing the planet. Yeah, we have uh, a, the, the, the city of Toronto comes and we have a, Tests. a manhole cover right on our property. Uh-huh. And they put a little water collector down there every so often, hmm. once a month. Yeah. And see what's going down the sewers. Mm. What are you guys dumping? Mm-hmm. Uh, the team compared water quality changes since the late 19th century when human impact on the Everglades began. Be interesting to find out what exactly he was testing for back in the day. Yeah. Hmm. And what they found and how different how different it is. Well, like they're saying there's a lot we're dumping a lot more stuff into our waters nowadays and and it's actually it's changing like we're seeing microplastics being collected in the human bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And that we're we're seeing a lot of environmental changes just from what we're doing. And so Back in the day, I guess the water would have been cleaner, but still. Well, there's a lot of things that, yeah, I mean, in 1897. <laughs> Not very technologically advanced, but they had some. There's a lot of people yeah. playing with chemistry. Stuff. Yeah, but I mean, they wouldn't have had, like, people wouldn't be dumping oil from their no, no, car no. changes no, exactly. into the local yeah, river. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, a uh, big thing of antifreeze will just, yeah. or heck, just toss the car in yeah. there, you know. <laughs> and let's just go sink our boat. <laughs> there, there would have been a lot of polluting industries like like clothing makers, shoe makers, yeah. hat makers. There's a, lot, there's a lot of use of mercuries and whatnot back in the day. It'd be interesting if, I would like to know what bad things like mercury and stuff mm. were there when he did his samples and how much of that is now gone. Oh, yeah. Now that they've done. Because industry have changed. Right? Yeah. That'd be interesting to find out. We have different processes. Mm-hmm. And I got to think at one point, because I know there's been reports where the Everglades are making a comeback yes. because of all the environmental. Yep. So we're doing better to protect it. If we would, if they would have done this thing fifteen years ago, mm. how much worse would those water oh, samples yeah. be? Yep. Right. So many mm. questions. I know. <sighs> Where was it that the uh, the river caught on fire because it was so polluted? Wasn't that Chicago? Was it? I think it was Detroit. Something like that. Yeah, a couple of places. I think. <laughs> <laughs> don't drink that water. You didn't, no, yeah, you no. Wanna, you don't want to be drinking that stuff. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, last thing I got here, and actually you had this one. We talked about this a couple of times. We've been following this for the last few years. Yep. The Klamath River dams. Uh, they talked about, hey, we should remove them. Yep. Then they said, hey, we're going to remove them. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, we're removing them. Yep. It it's, started. Yep. It's Largest done. dam removal project in the United States history is underway along the California-Oregon border. Do you say Oregon or Oregon? Oregon. Yeah, okay. The Oregon Trail. The Oregon, Oregon. Trail, yeah. Oregon. I just hear some people say Oregon. Project will remove four dams on the Klamath River. Uh, work has already begun on removing the smallest of the four dams. The other three will come down next year. Project is part of a larger trend across the U.S. to remove dams blocking the natural flow of rivers and streams. 
Dams were built decades ago to generate electricity, but they also halted the natural flow of the river and disrupted the life cycle of the salmon. The fish are culturally and spiritually important to several Native American tribes in the area. In 2002, a combination of low water levels and warm temperature caused a bacterial outbreak and killed more than 34,000 fish. The propel, uh, that propelled Native American tribes to campaign for removal of the dams. So this has been going on since two thousand. So this is twenty-one years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After much negotiation, federal regulators approved a plan last year to remove the dams. Pacific Corp uh, transferred the dams to a nonprofit that will oversee the project. Work has already begun on removing the smallest of the four dams, known as Copco Two. Removing the other three dams will take longer because those dams are much longer. Work is scheduled to begin in January, and the dams should be removed by the end of 2024. There won't be one, and this is disappointing, so disappointing. (laughs) There won't be one giant explosion. Instead, workers will slowly drain the reservoirs behind the dams this spring. Once the work is done, crews will begin dismantling the dams, mostly using heavy machinery and some small explosives. Well, that's no fun. So you start with the one right at the front. Yeah, yeah. You at know, the top. And, no, like at the bottom of the, you know, so. But if you blow out the top one, it should automatically take the rest out as the water, well, the no, big wall of water no, washes no, down. No, no, You start with the, the one right down the front, downstream, the, 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 the farthest downstream. You drain everything behind it. And you blow the crap out of it. <laughs> and when you clean that up, you go to the next one in line. <laughs> and you drain the water behind that. And, and blow the crap out of that one. You get four. Big kabooms. Yes. Earth-shattering kabooms. People would pay money to see it. Right? You could sell tickets, help pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, there won't be one giant explosion. Too bad. Uh, Work includes more than uh, just demolition. Crews will also try to restore the area to the conditions before the dams were built. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is cool. So they're going to do replanting and grading and whatever. So, speaking thereof... For years, Native American tribes have gathered seeds of native plants by hand. Those seeds were sent to nurseries, which grew more seeds to plant along the riverbanks. So they are already growing the trees that are going to be planted. The plants, the the yeah, the, the flowers, the mm-hmm. grasses that were there decades ago, they're already growing, regrowing those so that they can plant getting them. Getting ready for it, yeah. Getting ready for it. Project has a $450 million budget with a $50 million contingency fund. Uh, that's for all the people that get hit by flying debris when they sell <laughs> tickets. The cost is split between taxpayers and ratepayers of utility company Pacificorp. Pacificorp sounds like the evil company <laughs> from a movie, doesn't it? Sounds like a Superman. <laughs> Oscorp. <laughs> that's Spider-Man. Superman's Lex Luthor. Come on, get with the program, buddy. So, <laughs> Pacific Corp. Evil. Evil, I tell you. Uh, and that that's all I've got this week. I've got nothing to add. I've got nothing to add. So, yeah, so next week, I won't be here. You won't be here. But the show will be here. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to record right now. Right now, we're going to record another episode. <laughs> Maybe we should, right now, we should <clears throat> record the like, next six episodes, and then I'll see you in a month and a half. 
Yeah, it's going to be funny. Like, I've got a bit of a raspy voice. Hey, look, Derek, it's a week later. His voice is still raspy. Still he needs to get a cough drop or something. <laughs> Has he been to the doctor? Let's phone him and ask him. <laughs> phone him at home. I'm not home. If, if, if you want to know Derek's number, get a pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> don't call. I don't answer. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'll be paddling up north, way up north. Way up north. Hopefully some snow, but not too much. Mm -hmm. Just just a light dusting. And maybe you'll get on Superior. You've been on, what, uh, of the eight times you've been there, you've been on Superior once. Oh, about the 30 times I've been there, I've been on twice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at doing a little bit of the Mishapa Cotton. Uh, I'm looking at doing some of the Goulet River. I'm looking at doing Gargantua Harbor, maybe up to Warp Bay. Uh, I'm looking at doing paddling around Old Woman Bay and out of Catherine Cove and Sinclair Cove. Big trip. Right? Hmm. It's all a bunch of day trips put together into a big trip. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of paddling. And it's also a lot of photography because that's one of my big things. I'm, I'm getting back into my photography stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I took, I, so I think I mentioned that last. That. Yeah, yeah, I think I mentioned that last week. I, I just got out of that once COVID hit and it was a real enjoyment thing, stress reliever mm-hmm. sort of thing that, that I got out of and I need to pick that back up. So yeah, I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff up there and hopefully get some good weather for some nice paddling and some bad mm-hmm. weather for some great photos. <laughs> yes, you know what? Right? Bad weather, there's nothing well, better for photography than bad black weather. Black and white, dramatic yeah. Oh, yeah. water photos. Yeah. And yeah. Clouds. Uh, and... That'll be great. <laughs> yeah. But I looked at the weather last week. It was supposed to be raining all week. And now I think there's one day of rain. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And some <laughs> snow. Who knows? Yes, maybe. But it's going to get cold in the evenings. <laughs> 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 anyway. Uh, you got nothing else? I've got, got nothing else. Nope. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast uh, downloading sites. Or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com, and you can download or stream all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.